of shows I'm doing on the Ten Commandment, and here's the first commandment, um, Exodus 20, starting in verse 1, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. Uh, Welcome. My uh, my name is Russ Shaw. My email is russ at asi247.org. Uh, the website is asi247.org. More information on the show. Uh, the music I play on the show, you can download right off of iTunes or buy the music through Amazon, through links on uh, the music page there. I'm playing some bumpers there from uh, Johnny Cash. Uh, the Johnny Cash cover by uh, Social Distortion, The Ring of Fire. Um, I wanted to explain a, a few things. Uh, what's going on here is basically I am doing the podcast in my van. I am self-employed. I do spend a lot of time driving. And as far as my uh, timeline is concerned and doing the show, I would like to sit down and do a show and just bark out a message for you. I'd love to do that. I just do not have a lot of time. And um, I do some of my best thinking right here in the van. And I know this may frustrate some of you uh, who enjoy the, the hi-fi, maybe listen to radio shows and other podcasts, and you would like to have more of a cleaner listening experience, but um, I pray that you listen for the message that I have to that I have to communicate to you um, over audio quality, uh, and I apologize for that, but it's one thing I won't apologize for is the the message the my heart in doing this is that I was stuck for years and years and years on this six cycle. And I have a passion to, to see people set free from this. I'm five years clean of sexual addiction. I'm not a sex addict anymore. Um, and that is amazing to me because I was stuck in the worst way. Uh, frozen into this, couldn't get free, really extremely frustrated. Um, shook me down to my faith and my relationship with God and I had to just reevaluate everything that I believed in my recovery, and uh, and I'm here today to, to let you know that there is freedom from this, that if the Holy Spirit, if Jesus can set me free from this, he, he'll set you free too. It's one of the promises. 
that because we love him, because we pursue him, that he can set us free. And I know that some of you may not believe that, that you may believe that this is just religion and that uh, there's just empty religion. And I, and I get that too. If you're agnostic or atheist, I, I, that's part of my story. I want to um, address you as well. So I pray that you would have an open mind. Um, it's one of the one of the true things that I've I've found is that some of the most closed-minded religious people are atheist college professors, and uh, some of you have been indoctrinated into some of that. And I want to address some of that as well in this series of shows. Um, but also let you know that there is freedom and that there is a God and that he loves you and you're not him. So, and listen, I'm going to try not to go long, but I, I probably will. Uh, this is like the most important commandment of the 10, I believe. Uh, also, um, this is going to make more sense if you go to the beginning and start from the beginning, um, intro to the decalogue and start from there and listen, uh, you know, from episode 90 and up, um, it's just going to make more sense to you. So, uh, I also had some technical difficulties uh, last week, week before last, and you know, I apologize for that. I know you're supposed to have a show out every week, Russ, and yet I know it's been two weeks. I know, I know, I'm working on it. So, I'm getting back into the groove of doing this thing. Um, but again, uh, you know, my apologies, and I will try my best by the grace of God, to get a show out every week. Um, Facebook, my, my Facebook is attached to the uh, website at asi247.org, or you can search Russ Shaw in Seattle, uh, Washington, or Everett, Washington is where I reside, um, and you can friend me on Facebook. Please tell me that you are a listener of the show. I don't accept uh, friend requests from people I don't know. Um, and if you listen to the show, I, I know something about you. I know your heart a little. Um, and I consider you a friend. If you're a listener. So, getting that out of the way. I want to get right into it today. Try and uh, keep these shows around a half an hour. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow right into it. That song by Johnny Cash, Ring of Fire, is so true and so rings true with my heart and and this concept of love that you know the, the fact that the world is broken right the fact that love hurts that falling in love can be scary that intimacy can be scary that letting people know us can be scary and that the world is is broken and there's something damaged here. There's something broken here. I mean, have you ever just had your heart smashed into little pieces and, and just had something affect you like that, that just broke some of your motivation, that some of your heart got busted up into little bits? And I don't think that just kind of pretending that pain doesn't exist down in your heart, that that hasn't changed some of your motivated reasoning in some way. Um, just ignoring that, that heart-smashing pain that, that you may still react out of is not helping anything just to kind of, oh, well, let's just think positive and pretend that everything's fine. Well, what if it's not? And what if that, it's, this is a busted up world. Love shakes you. Love can be broken here. Your heart can be broken. What you love and what you trust can be shaken and shattered. And I'm so sick of, of a lot of this um, 
just positive messages in, in, in Christianity, people who um, teach the gospel, uh, not talking about some of the dark stuff, some of the, the, the facts that, um, I mean, crack open a newspaper, right? The world is broken. We, we live in a, in a fallen world. And here, check this out. This song so rings true with with the facts and the way you may feel, the way I felt. Um, check this out. It's Good Charlotte from the Chronicles of Life and Death. are cold there is no hope that's what we're told I love that song by good Charlotte and uh, man God is listening he is listening man and and that's what I wanted to talk about with this whole uh, this whole series of shows um, I love that song and I love that that whole album because it's kind of trying to understand this break and this connection uh, this this relationship we have with our creator if there is a creator then why are things so screwed up why am I stuck why am I here on the last show I played some uh, 6 a.m. and uh, I think it's episode 87 I played that song life is beautiful by uh, by 6 a.m. I love the words to that that maybe you should open your eyes that, that you know you're alive just open your eyes, just open your eyes and see that life is beautiful. And the more I hear albums like that, the more I hear these passionate messages like that, the more I love the Bible. Because I used to think, like, I used to be like a militant agnostic, right? That when I started, when I lost my faith, when I when I kind of gave up because of this addiction, because God wasn't taking it from me because I, you know, I had that attitude and I was stuck and I couldn't repent, right? And I, and I remember being there like I saw this bumper sticker that was funny it said uh, it said militant agnostic I don't know what you don't either you know and I had that attitude I started to walk away from from this book the Bible because I thought that here's how I used to look at the Bible like this is just a bunch of rules that um, religious people put together to uh, tell other people what they shouldn't do right like, here's a list of things that you shouldn't do. Like, I'm going to do these things, but here's the things that you shouldn't do. You know, you over there. You know, I live in Seattle, and we have this. I mean, there's just this weird thing in our area. Um, for example, mass transit. Every few years, there's some mass transit 
budget that needs to be approved by the voters some massive monstrosity of of money that they need to do for uh, the busing or the trains or whatever it is to get people on the buses and the trains. Um, I know that a lot of you that are listening aren't in the United States, and there's a lot of that in like Europe. Um, this isn't Europe, man. It's it's different here. People have cars. People can afford to put gas in their cars. There's plenty of open road, and people like to be in their cars. And I think what people do is they vote on these things, and they look at the guy next to him in traffic and say, "Hey, I voted for you to be on the bus." You know, and that's that kind of weird sense of, of ethics that, you know, these rules and regulations, like Al Gore is another one, for example. I see Al Gore and he does these things on the environment, which I think is great. You know, let's talk about the environment. Um, but, I mean, we should be good stewards of the environment. But when you see Al Gore, here he is driving around with this entourage of SUVs, right? He's got like these big Escalades and Tahoes and, okay, so... We should all drive little tiny cars with electric engines, but you're going to go ahead and drive in luxury in your big gas guzzling Escalade, okay? So these are things that I should do, but you're not doing them. And that's how I used to look at the Bible, that that, that was my attitude towards the Bible. And the more I learned about it, I talked about in the last show some of the history of the Bible, but the stories of the Bible, that's the thing about the Bible is it's 6,000 years of people going... Ah, I want to get you. I want to understand this God, this creator, this, uh, you know. And that's why I love real music, right? Like real, some of the rock and roll messages of rock and roll is people really working out their stuff for real. And listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about all the messages of rock and roll, right? But the ones where people are in humility trying to understand, right? The, the pain and, and working things out. I love the, the quote by Sonny of the band P.O.D. He says, you know, we're just like the rest of the kids out there. He says, we don't consider ourselves Christian music in quotes, right? But he says, we're just like the rest of the kids out there who are screaming, yelling, and, and talking about what's real going on in our hearts. And it, it's, it's also, the Bible is, is, has that kind of message and it's also, maybe I don't know if it The, the apostles, the the books, you know, the, of old, the, the, the Pentateuch, right? Uh, um, all, all these books that are, are passionate pouring out of people trying to understand and trying to get this creator God who made everything and gave us life. I mean, there, there's a lot of people that are studying and that are learning and are writing and they're going, how do I understand? Where do I, where can I start to understand? Can I learn from this wisdom, this book that is like 6,000 years plus old? Maybe I'm not God. Maybe I need to learn some things.
Maybe everything isn't dark and black. Maybe I just need to open my eyes, understand some things. In the last show, I talked about uh, being the drug addict and being um, the alcoholic and being all that, feeling like that. But then later in my life, when I got cleaned up from the drugs and the alcohol, I was just so busy, right? I was so busy in my mind being a grown-up and trying to manage my life and trying to run and chase after um, dreams and aspirations that, uh, that I was blind a bit. So I'm also doing the show from from that standpoint as well. I talked about the other standpoint, but years later, after the drugs and alcohol, after I got married, my heart being like this. Here's another bumper from the Good Charlotte album. And all these plans I built them all with these two hands Everything I've realized My trails The city lights shine down And they blind me sometimes But through it all I was lost but I found my way So tell me what you So are. yeah, I, w I was there, man I, uh, I'm the guy, right? The guy who was the drug addict, the guy who was uh, sexually abused, even though I didn't talk about that, you know, I didn't sexually abuse my kids, you know, these people, I, you know, um, I, I was the guy who was the victim of these, of that, also the victim of drug addiction, kind of a self-imposed prison that I put myself in, but I had, I had gone out of that, right? Like I got cleaned up, I didn't need that whole 12-step thing, right? And I, uh, so I found myself free from drugs and, and being drunk every night. I still drank. Um, I still do drink. Uh, but being, uh, you know, being a, a drunk, something I was, I was free of too. But being, and then becoming this businessman, right? And having this attitude like, look what I did. Look, look, look at me. I bought a BMW. Got in the Amway business. Bought a BMW. I looked cool and shiny and looked successful. I'd wear suits, uh, but you know, it was it was an exterior thing. My BMW had two hundred thousand miles on it when a guy, uh, older gentleman, ran a stop sign and took it out for me. His insurance company gave me more money than I could have ever sold it for. But you know, yeah, I had a BMW. I, in this pizza business, I made money. I, I, I made, you know, I got out there. I hit the streets. I didn't take no for an answer. I was like the Terminator. You know, that was my big thing. Is you know, he doesn't stop. He doesn't feel, you know, guilt, remorse, or whatever it is. You know, he doesn't. He just goes out there and he sells. You know, he doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't. He just like the Terminator. I love that line from the Terminator. And I had that attitude when I go out and sell just next, next, looking at people like a number. I was making money in the stock market. You know, I was doing uh, calls and puts and stock options and making a little money on the side doing that. I mean, I was meeting with investment capital people to talk about um, internet ideas that I was uh, involved in. Um, people that got a hold of me, like I didn't have to go chasing after them for, you know, investment capital. They actually called me and invited me in to talk about 
my ideas, which was pretty cool. So on the surface, you know, pretty successful dude um, compared to my uh, the hand I was dealt, right? And I, I pulled myself up. I'd look at homeless people, look down on them, and yeah, I was a drug addict, and I was an alcoholic, and I'd been sexually abused, and I'm not living on the street. I'm not, you know, in the gutter, and look at how good I am. I, I judge fat people, too, you know, when I was younger. Now I am kind of a fat person. I'm about 25 pounds overweight. I know I need to work on that. But, uh, you know, I judge people, and oh, I eat right, and, you know, I'm... Not you know taking second help is on the ice cream and stuff like that. I just just so judgmental because of the things that I thought that I had achieved by my own power. And really, a lot of my judgmentalism and a lot of my self righteousness was based on chasing after these uh, shallow dreams, as he puts it in this this song. Uh, continued the mountain. Check it out. there's broken relationship there's people that are messed up and jacked up and and what we do as sex addicts hurts other people grievingly right deeply we cut we wound the hearts of others um, here's one of the verses that I, I've talked a lot about in the show and it's, it's absolutely true um, Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through the faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Um, so we, we get that, right? We get that if it was by works, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. Um, but at the same time, there's some dissidence there because Jesus is going to say um, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called uh, Refre Reflections on the Psalms, and, and C.S. Lewis in his writings, his theological type of writings, um, he touches on a lot of this uh, ethics, right, and what, what are ethics and what are we supposed to do in our behavior and how is the, you know, in light of what God has done through Jesus Christ, how are we to live? And he kicks off this book on the Psalms talking about the judgment of God and talking about um, the first chapter is about the judgment in the Psalms. Um, how David is, is, you know, just excited and, uh, you know, about how God's judgment is, is coming to pass. And also he talks about Judgment Day, that we will all blood-bought Christians, um, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ will face God on Judgment Day. And what will that look like? Um, 
one of the things that I talked about early in the show, and I talk a lot about the heart. I talk a lot about the that that worship is that flowing, that that spending that we're always doing of our intellectual, our spiritual, and our emotional energy all the time. We're always worshiping in the direction of something, and that a lot of what is religion and a lot of what is psychology is just kind of level two, right? It just doesn't go quite deep enough because we're always running, I mean, we're always flowing out of the direction of, of where our heart is, right? Where you spend your money is a big one. Where you spend your money, you want to look at where your heart is, where you spend your money is, is a lot have to do with where your heart is. So a lot of behavior modification and behavior management, the reason it doesn't work long term is because it never really gets to your heart. You just kind of start doing things that that you should do or you ought to do, but you don't really get focused in on why you should or why you ought to. You know that you should, you know that you ought to, but there's something in your heart that doesn't want to. And so you're trying to push in from the outside shoulds and ought tos on your heart that doesn't want to. Does that make sense? Um, I pray that it does. Uh, earlier in the show, I'm gonna talk a little bit about social psychology for you. I listened to a, a whole semester with the lectures by uh, Rob Willer at um, Berkeley. And he's the part of the sociological department down there. Um, social psychology department in Berkeley is a award-winning um, department, one of the the best, they were voted one of the best uh, or the best in the United States um, Department of Social Psychology. So um, again, I'm going back to, it's not all Rushoff stuff that Rushoff thinks. This is some stuff that is is real, okay? 2009, um, it's 2010 now, but 2009 award-winning Social Psychology Department at Berkeley talking about this. Um, something that I mentioned earlier in the show, in early episodes of the show, is this the river concept, right? Like our hearts are, are, our thoughts are flowing downstream like a river and we're constantly trying to fill, um, to, to grab a hold of something to, to, to make sense of our lives, right? Like our thoughts are constantly doing that. I'm going to go into a little level two stuff here, so, so check this out. Um, Leon Fessinger... I think that's how you say it, as a Stanford professor who came up with this concept um, called cognitive dissonance theory, or he built on it. Uh, anyway, and he talked about this uh, river of thought, that sounds familiar, that humans have a, tr- a strong tendency towards cognitive consistency, okay? Holding incompatible or logically inconsistent thoughts about ourselves, others, or the world around us produces cognitive dissonance. This is the feeling of dissonance between your thoughts. This state of dissonance is uncomfortable and the mind seeks to resolve this discomfort by rejecting or changing or adding other cognitions. Your brain doesn't want to believe logically inconsistent things. And our mind goes to work on trying to resolve that dissonance constantly. Distance reduction goes on largely outside of our awareness and goes on behind the scenes. People would call this um, 
your subconscious. A lot of our, a lot of it is, we're unaware of. Our minds are consistently trying to solve dissidents without us really even being aware of it. And we start to learn habits and we start to learn patterns on, on how to do that. I think a lot of um, social psychology, a lot of how we interact in relationships has to do with this, whether we quit you know, we just become quitters in relationship. We don't want to get to know people too deeply. We don't want people to get to know us too deeply. And as we're in relationship with others, we start to, our minds start to go to work on how to, to solve this uncomfortable thing of intimacy. But I think we as, as you know, people, me as a former sex addict, still struggle getting better, but still struggling with intimacy and how to open myself up to others. I'm a lot better, 80% better than I was in the past, but at the same time, um, I'm, I'm still working on it. Like it's, it's not, I'm not ever going to be perfect, right? But at the same time, I'm still working on that. Um, our relationship with God, I think that a lot of it's just bow out and either it's too hard or it's too easy. Like Jesus is a legal loophole for me to have a relationship with God, which doesn't feel like God loves me, right? Like God brought Jesus so I could get out of it because I'm, you know, kind of like some of these math tests in school or I don't know. I live in the United States and, and some of the things that they do in education here is just criminal. You know, the kids don't want to learn. Uh, well, he'll pass him anyway. He'll be all right. You know, let's just let him go. We'll let him graduate. He's, he can't read, but that's okay. Um, so I think we look at, some of us look at our relationship with Jesus like that. Like, well, I got Jesus, so he's going to, you know, he, he, I don't going to do what I want, and he's just going to love me anyway. Um, or we look at the law and, and, and with the Ten Commandments or, or what we ought to do and our shoulds, and we think, man, it's too hard. I'm not able to do these things so I'm gonna bow out or I'm just gonna disconnect from God um, one of the cool things that he talked about with cognitive dissonance is that a good example of cognitive dissonance in your life today is movies right like uh, movies that are independent films will throw up a lot of cognitive dissonance and they won't always solve it okay like there will be movies that you'll see in, in independent films where there'll be a lot of stuff going on and they may solve one or two things. Lost, the TV show Lost, if you've ever seen that, you live in the United States, um, I don't know if they have that in, in Europe or in Australia, but this, this show Lost, there's just a huge amount of cognitive dissonance going on and your mind is constantly trying to solve all these little puzzles that are going on. Um, a romantic comedy, <laughs> use this example, which is great. Every romantic comedy has some kind of cheesy cognitive dissonance, right? The couple falls in love, it's boy meets girl, they're all excited, and then something happens. You know, there's always some kind of dissonance that splits them up. Every romantic comedy has this. And then somehow, during the course of the film, they, they come back together, right? And they fall in love, and they learn something new and deeper and intimate about each other through the, you know, through the struggles of the, of the relationship, you know. So that that is a great example of cognitive dissonance. When the couple breaks up in the film, your mind starts to go to work on, what's going to happen? That's what makes a good story, right? A good story is one that has cognitive dissonance and that solves that dissonance well so that you're satisfied. And sometimes... That's why I think independent films don't do all that well in the box office because there's just so much stuff going on that people get frustrated in our minds because our minds are constantly trying to solve what's going on in the film 
And uh, anyway, so that's cognitive dissonance. It's a, it's a cool theory and it sheds some light on how we think in social situations. Uh, and I would say in our relationship with God, for those of us in, of faith, and, and if, even if you don't have faith or you don't believe in God, you have a relationship with God, okay? Maybe you think that's just my opinion, but I disagree, all right? Um, look into it, all right? Just go on the book list at asi247.org. Click on the book list and, and just, just read some of that. Something that C.S. Lewis said. He said that uh, a good atheist can't be too careful of what he reads, all right? I'm just asking you to open your mind, all right, if you don't believe so. And I never intended this show to be largely Christian audience, by the way. Um, one of the reasons or one of the things that I, that I think that we love music is because music um, really touches our hearts past that level to, you know, just behavior type of thing. And there, sure, there's a lot of music that's just kind of cheesy and surfacy, but there's also music that kind of cuts straight to the quick and goes for the heart, makes us look at things a different way. Um, I want to share a song with you, the, the lyrics to a song. I'm not going to play the song, but I wanted to share the lyrics to the song because I think it's important, and it, and it shows one man's um, cognitive dissonance, not just his not just his cognitive dissonance, but something that's going on in his heart, and he, and he shares it in this song, and I think a lot of us have felt this way, and I'm pretty sure that you've heard this song, um, but uh, here, here's, uh, here's the lyrics. Um, you let me violate you. You let me desecrate you. You let me penetrate you. You let me complicate you. Help me, I broke apart my insides. Help me, I've got no soul to sell. Help me, the only thing that works for me. Help me get away from myself. I want to F you like an animal. I want to feel you from the inside. I want to F you like an animal. My whole existence is flawed. You get me closer to God. That is eye-opening. My whole existence is flawed. You get me closer to God. And listen, I'm not judging Trent Reznor for that song, or, or and some of you religious types may be judging me for even playing that song on the show, but here's the deal. He's, you, do you hear his heart in there? Help me, help me. My existence is flawed. And going to this um, God that's not working, I mean, what's your attitude? This is a message for the religious types out there. What's your attitude towards hurting um, people in pain who are bleeding and needing help? Do you have an extended hand for them? Are you the really the body of Christ? Are you his hands and feet? So, for the Christian types listening, that's that's my that's my plead for you that you you don't leave people there leave people there stuck in their stuff that you love them enough to do something, to say something, to love. Give grace because you've been given grace. And I encourage you, you have a pastor in your church and you're afraid to talk about this in the church, you know, burn this to a CD and slip it under your pastor's door. 
mail it to your pastor. I, I don't know. But this, this is an important message for the people that shepherd the people, not just the stuck people. And that's the point of, of this show that I really want you to see is that give grace because we've been given grace. We loved by a loving father. Um, that's what we do when we break the first commandment is we put, um, we put things ahead of God. We, we make good things, God things. We make bad things. God, like sex isn't a bad thing. God made it. It's God's idea. It feels good. It's awesome. It feels really awesome. And it's God's idea. And he has a certain instruction manual to it. Kind of like fireworks. All right. You don't open a box of fireworks, light them off in your living room. That's just not a good idea. So God has a certain set of rules when it comes to sexuality. Um, now, it, religious people will say, well, sex is just for procreation. That is just a, a bunch of crap, all right? I'm sorry, but that's it's not even biblical, okay? Um, go to the book of uh, Songs of Solomon, which um, young, like the young Hebrew kids studying the Bible couldn't read this book until they were like 15. And at the time, that was like, I don't know, 21. <laughs> it's not our days. But it's like... They're, they're, the whole book of Songs of Solomon is about sexual pleasure. It's about intimacy. It's about this relationship between this man and this woman. It gets very sexually graphic. And there is not one word in there about making babies. Not one. It's all about pleasure. Like God is ultimate, right? God is the loving father. We, we take his creation and we make it ultimate. Like there's, there's religions that teach that, oh, well, God is the trees and God is the sea and God is the mountains. And uh, no, God created those things. God sits outside of those things. They're his creation. They're not him. They're his stuff. And we make his stuff ultimate. We break the first commandment. Let me give you another example. Um, alcohol. Uh, a lot of a lot of religious people say, "Oh well, the Christians and the lips should never touch alcohol. You know, it's just bad. Alcohol's bad." Uh, Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. God makes the wine that gladdens the heart. All right, I won't go into the the whole thing. Um, you hear a lot of religious types like Methodists, or they'll say that, well, you know, Russ, wine is grape juice, okay? Um, it's not really wine. It wasn't really fermented. It was, you know, the Bible talks about mixed wine. Yes, in Songs of Solomon, the Bible talks about mixed wine. Um, it, it's like we have today, where you mix spices with wine, or you mix fruit notes with wine to make it taste different and better. Uh, it still is fermented, still has alcohol. Um, the Bible says over and over, don't be drunk with wine. See, the sin is getting drunk, not enjoying alcohol responsibly. See, there's, there's a self-control issue there. To say that alcohol can take over your self-control. Now, some of you shouldn't drink, and I'll give you that. Like, there's some people who just shouldn't drink at all. Um, the Bible talks about the, the John the baptizer, right? Don't drink, let his lips touch alcohol. He should not be drinking. Some of you are like that, right? Instant a-hole, just add alcohol. Um, some of you have self-control issues that you're still dealing with. So you're not drinking, and that's a good thing. But um, as far as alcohol, uh, wine being grape juice, um, the book of Numbers uh, 6, verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 3, um, the Bible refers to grape juice, right? Um, they're having like a fast, and, and there's a list of things that 
he doesn't want uh, the Israelites to do or to engage in. One is drinking wine, one is eating grapes, and one was drinking grape juice, okay? That's in the Bible, the word grape juice, okay? So I tend to think that when the Bible says grape juice, it means grape juice. And when it says wine, it means wine, all right? There's no scriptures on, don't get drunk with grape juice. It's just not in there. Um, the book of Isaiah, one more here for you. I'm having a blast with this. Um, the book of Isaiah, uh, the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 22. Um, Isaiah is condemning business owners at the time for ripping people off for uh, unethical business practices. And one of those unethical business practices, and it says right there in verse 22, chapter one, is watering down the wine, okay? That's in the Bible. So all the people who, the religious people who say that, oh, well, wine wasn't fermented and you couldn't get drunk on that. No, no. Uh, Isaiah is going to condemn those people for watering down their wine and making it less potent. Right, David, Psalm 104. Uh, God made the wine that gladdens the heart. See, when we when we worship God and we make Him ultimate, we can take a thing like alcohol and and thank Him for it, and then it doesn't become drunkenness. It doesn't become sin. It doesn't become a way to numb ourselves, to to hide our pain. To right. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor, right? Get medical help, disclaimer, that kind of thing. But um, this is not my words, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote a guy, Professor Andy Peterson, um, Reformed Theological Seminary. He's actually the president of Reformed Theological Seminary. Um, the guy had six years in, community mental, in a community mental health center, state-run uh, mental health center in Pennsylvania. Um, years of experience in pastoral counseling in San Diego under fi uh, family and child guidance. Taught five years at Grove City College. Um, Christian counseling. Uh, I mean, the guy was trained at Berkeley. Um, he said that in this state-run facility that he worked at, he had two psychiatrists that he worked close with. Like, he had two offices, uh, two different psychiatrists, and one would prescribe medication like 90% of the time. And the other would prescribe medication about 10 to 20% of the time. Both psychiatrists, both with the same degrees, both in the same facility, and one just was over-prescribing medication. And I'm not saying that medication is bad, and I think that Listen, it's, it's just not putting second things first. Um, it's there to get you through a certain season of life. I'm not Mr. Anti-Psychological Medication. I think that those things can help you, that, that God is the ultimate authority, and that doctors have created this stuff. I just don't, I just think you can become dependent on it, you know? That's making a medication ultimate. Let me get to what I really want to get down underneath it, okay? To get down to identity, to how we view ourselves and how we view other people. Um, check this out. Andy Peterson, this psychi a psychologist, w was saying that uh, he's constantly like like... Galatians, right? The book of Galatians, constantly having to repent of, of being a psychologist, about going to his head instead of his heart and, and the spirit. 
And he said that that was a big part of why he came back to his faith, was understanding Christian ethics and how they change people's hearts, how people's hearts change. That it's not trying to shove in behavior change from the outside. It's a heart change that takes place in the inside and then grows out from the inside. And that's what changes behavior. I, I don't, I mean, that's what I said a few shows ago. The want to, and the, you know, the people that want to, like like I was in my, my addiction. I want to get free of this. I don't want to be this way anymore. I really want to change. So God says to the Israelite people that I am the Lord your God. Don't put any other gods before me. It's just going to go bad. I love you. I'm, I've rescued you. Look what I've already done in your life. Look at the life that you have. Open your eyes and see. Look around you. The want-to people become get-to people. But it's always the ought-to people and the should people who are going to be opposed to the want-to people, right? And that's my thing about judgment. And that's a whole book of Romans too. And you need to read that. If you have that judgmental heart like I did, like you relate to that, read Romans 2, check that out. Because that is, um, it, it is the, the, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not shooting or ought-toing on people. It, it, it's getting people to realize that life is beautiful, that God created the world to be a certain way, and that he's not after our begrudging submission. He's after our long-term joy, and he loves us, and we get God, man. We get to have, be in relationship with God. Why can't I just be? I remember feeling that way, too. Why? I just got my head. I'm all anxious, and I'm all wound up. Why can't I just be, man? Why can't I just be? And now I can be. I can be in relationship with God every single day. And listen, if I could take a drill bit and drill a little deeper underneath stuff that we put ahead of God, I would say that part of our identity, some of the things that we tie to our identity are um, like self-esteem. Okay, Self-esteem is, is this thing that I think is defined and we know in our culture, especially the United States. I heard a guy in England say that, uh, that he, um, he grew up in England and then came here and he couldn't understand why stupid kids thought they were so smart. It's like the self-esteem thing that's, that's taught in especially the schools here in the States. Um, and that permeates our culture here in the United States, especially. But I think is starting to affect worldwide with, uh, you know, like psychology and stuff. But basically, that is taught that that you default on yourself, right? Like I was taught this by psychologists when I was a kid because of my bad behavior, some of the trouble I was getting into, and the abuse that I endured. Um, and not, I never really talked about that, but they're just trying to figure me out. And a lot of what they said is I just had poor self-esteem. Like I just didn't feel real good about myself. And I think what they did in, in planting this kind of shallow sense of self-esteem was um, they just gave me a better self-confidence, right? So I was more confident at, at being evil, okay? That I was, I was more confident 
in my in my ethical standing because if I had this conviction in my own ethical standing and that's what I'm going to challenge you with and that's what I'm going to focus on this commandment put no other gods before me what if you've put yourself as a god before the creator of the universe what if your ethical standard, the things that you've come up with that all default on you and you're feeling good and your success and your feeling pleasure, what if that is your whole, you have an ethical standard, right? And what if your whole ethical standard is built on pleasing and pleasuring and, and making much of yourself? See, because when you start to change your desires, see, one of the evidences that you have God is that you want more of God. You want more of Him. It's not about morality. It's about desire for Him. It's about desire to know Him. Desire to understand even a glimpse, a shadow of how much His, his love is for you. And your neighbor. And your wife. And your kids. And the ripple effect that you leave every day that you get up and walk around. You get more of God. But if our passions, if, we, if we're not examining our passions in light of that relationship that we all have with God, and every single one of us has that relationship with God, we may be putting a, uh, those passions ahead of God. I was trying to think of a good uh, word picture to describe this, and I, I think I found one uh, in a movie I saw recently. Um, this, this word picture that would describe this sense of self-ethics where when we take our own ethics and we replace God, what God would have us do, what we know is right, and we replace it with what we want to do, what we choose to do at, at the moment. Because, I mean, those are the times when you're alone, when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling anxious, when your mind is running, when you're worried, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, the, those the, that thing comes knocking, right? And you and you have to make an ethical choice. And I saw this movie, um, Daybreakers, and, it, and it's not a perfect analogy. The movie's a little shallow. I think they, you know, for special effects and vampire violence, they they lose some of the story. But uh, uh, vampires are just great analogy to sin. Okay, Bram Stoker writes his story, and and people keep adding to it because it's just a great analogy to our sin nature as human beings. The devil inside that we all have, the, the, the affliction that we all fight. Um, this movie solved some cognitive dissonance for me as, as a kid because I remember I've always been kind of a, you know, a thinker. As a, as a kid I remember watching vampire movies and thinking, okay, so if the vampire bites one person and that person bites another person and those people bite other people, wouldn't the whole world be vampires after a while? You know, I mean, seriously, come on. And this movie is that, which I think is cool, right? The movie takes place in, in the future where everyone, except for like 5% of the population, are vampires. And there's this pharmaceutical company that farms human beings for blood. Um, everybody looks around at night, you know, nobody goes out during the day. And there's this... There's a few people still left alive and free, and there's this one vampire guy who who gets cured, right? Um, there's in the story also you follow the the main character who's this guy. He's like a scientist, and he's trying to come up with some kind of an artificial blood substance, like a artificial food substance that people can because the world's running out of food and everybody's going to die if they don't figure something out. So. This guy's trying to find some artificial blood substance. And he runs 
into this man who's been cured of his vampirism, right? He used to be a vampire. He's not anymore. So, uh, he, he gets, he finds out what this guy did. And, and, you know, this guy's like a, a researcher. He's a scientist, figures out what the guy did and he gets cured, right? He gets cured from his vampire-ness. Okay. And, uh, goes back to his boss who owns the pharmaceutical company who's, you know, kind of racking his brain. What are we going to do? He's worried too, because everyone's going to die. And, uh, you know, he comes to this guy and the guy's daughter, like the, the guy who owns the pharmaceutical company, his daughter, um, is brought in and, and she's turned into a vampire. And then she starts feeding on other vampires. Cause in the movie, like they're running out of people, right? So they start, vampires start eating other vampires and they start turning into these weird creatures that can't think for themselves. And they're like zombie vampires with wings and stuff. And just really weird. Right. So, which is also a cool example for, um, how dark our addiction to sex can get. Right. Like, I don't think a guy, you know, just starts masturbating to pictures of, of donkeys and people having sex with, you know, cats or something. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it goes, it gets darker and darker and darker because it just doesn't satisfy. And I think that was a kind of a cool example of that. But, um, in the film, he goes to this man who, who is struggling with what is he going to do with this running out of their blood supply and they know that things are going bad. Kind of like I said about peeing your pants to keep your backside warm, right? Feels good for a little bit. It goes really bad after a while. So he knows this, right? Like he knows the world's going to end it. Everyone's going to die. But then he starts to think, well, what about me? I'm, I'm cool. I'm all right. I'll be all right. And the guy comes to him and says, hey, I have a cure. And he's, and you can see the hamster on the wheel with this guy. And he looks at him. He says, you know what? I have the cure. So it's you that's sick. You know, you with your heart beating and your warm skin and your, you know, it's just, it's a total cool example of that, that this guy feels like I have the cure. I'm, I'm going to stay here. And we really have that choice to, to, in those moments to, you know, and you're going to win some, you're going to lose some coming out of this addiction. But in those moments, lonely, tired, frustrated, um, the world is not working out the way you think it ought to you're going to make a choice and that's what I'm talking about worship putting another God before the God of the universe thinking that we have the cure that we know more than he does not being able to enter into his rest as the book of Hebrews says Hebrews 4 And I want you to think about this, and I want this to maybe um, create or solve some cognitive dissonance in your mind in that, okay, success and wanting to achieve is not a bad thing. Um, good self-esteem and think, feeling good about who you are as a person is not a bad thing. But when those things become God things, when those things become ultimate things, um, I think that it, it just all defaults on, on ourselves and, and we become God and our own decision-making ethical processes that we make every day. And so and my question to you, and, and maybe I can raise this in your heart and in your mind, is what if um, the image of God, what if the Bible is actually true, right? We're going through the book of Acts in this group last night and talking about the first chapter and, and that was a, kind of a, a challenge that I, I talked about and that 
Pastor Mark at MarsHillChurch.org, the church I go to in Seattle, Pastor Mark talking about the constantly going through this. It's, this is true. This is not religion. This is not a book of fables. What if it's actually historical fact? What if it's reporting on a story that's actually happened? And what if, um, what if we're actually made in the image of God? What if our ethical decision-making became from that? What if we sought pleasure through pleasing the God who created us, created the universe, has us here, and this time, at this point in history, in the space that you live for a purpose and for a reason? Check this out. This is on the topic of Imago Day, image of God. Here's a little bit of uh, Mago Day that I, I wrote um, that there were small C creators that um, we're finding our, that it's finding ourself in the image of God. Um, God's own self-expression through humankind. This is a definition of a Mago Day. Look it up. Um, and second, to God's love for humankind, John 3.16 through 17, to assert that humans are created in the image of God is to recognize special qualities we as individuals shine forth. That that's what being is as opposed to doing. What if you could shed your addiction like a dog sheds hair? And a speaker at the men's advance said that. What if God just rolled off your tongue? What if good ethics just kind of um, came out of you? What if, what if this addiction, you didn't have to white-knuckle your way through it? What if it, it just changed? I mean, what, what if it just changed, like, like a bird molting its feathers? So the more I read my Bible and the more, you know, I was listening to that, that album by Nikki Six and Open Your Eyes. I love that song, Life is Beautiful. just need to open your eyes maybe it's not that you give to get you know there's a lot of theologies that teach that well if you give we don't give to get we give because we've already been given to we give out of gratitude for what we've already been blessed with life is beautiful it is amazing 
and maybe you need to open your eyes. That's what I want you to remember. I'll leave you with a song um, by A Newfound Glory. Uh, it's a punk band covering a old Brian Adams tune. Everything I do, I do it for you. It's a great example of looking at the first commandment. When we put our our spouse or our relationships with uh, with our you know our loved ones ahead of God, it becomes codependency, right? Um, when we put our relationship with drugs or alcohol or sex ahead of God, it becomes addiction. But a good way to, to, to find out where our river is going, where our heart is at, is if we really honestly look at ourselves and we say, everything I do, I do it for you. And listen to the song, listen to the words to it. I'm not going to play the whole song. I can't legally do that. I'm going to play a bumper. But uh, just listen to the, the beginning words of the song and, and, and check, check this out. Because it shows what what we do, everything I do, my, I spend my emotional, my intellectual, my spiritual energy, everything I do, I do it for you. And I'm going to ask in, in, in reflection on this first commandment, don't put any other gods before me, he says. Everything I do, I do it for who? Ask you that question. I love you guys. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. Until next time, bye. Look into my eyes and you will.